Welcome to the International Door Association's DoorCast. The ITA DoorCast will provide news and notes from the building and remodeling industry and tips and tidbits to help you improve your business. Now, here's your DoorCast host, IDA Executive Director, Mike Fisher. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the IDA DoorCast. This is Mike Fisher, Executive Director of IDA, talking to you from the Winding Bar Cafe. Our topic today is Women Open Doors, and I'm proud to present to you a panel discussion that will include three members of our IDA leadership, Flossie Miller, Renee Patel, and Melissa Whitaker will serve on our panel. Flossie Miller will actually serve as the moderator for our panel. Flossie is Executive Vice President of Miller Edge, a second-generation family business originally started by her father. Miller Edge manufactures safety equipment used in the door gate and industrial equipment markets. During a sabbatical, she worked at Lodi Garage Doors and more in Phoenix, Arizona, where Flossie gained firsthand experience about the daily challenges facing professional door dealerships. Flossie has served as a director of IDA and IDEA and chairs the DASMA Training and Education Committee. She is an IDEA certified door dealer consultant and gate systems designer. She has an MBA from Arizona State University with a BS in business administration and BS in communications from Drexel University. Flossie served on the IDEA board of directors and served as a supplier VP. She received the 2017 IDA Presidential Service Award and the IDA Distinguished Service Award in 2020. Flossie was instrumental in starting YPN to help mentor young professionals in the door business. Melissa Whitaker is a third-generation door dealer at Carl's Door Service in Hartford County, Maryland. While she's been helping out with the business since she was 15, she took time to graduate from Frostburg State University in 2007 and started working full-time as a certified installer for the business. In 2015, she moved into the office and is currently acting as general manager. Melissa is one of the original members of the IDA's YPN and is currently serving her second year as the IDA director from Region 2 on our board. Renee Patel is the current YPN co-chair. She has hosted the Women Open Doors panel at IDA Expos in 2019 and again in 2020. Renee is the recipient of the IDA's Jerry R. Reynolds Volunteer Leadership Award. She's worked for her family business, Loading Dock Incorporated, for 13 years. Renee has a BA from George Washington University and lives in New Jersey with her husband and 10-month-old daughter, Aria. Renee is now learning how to juggle her career with her life as a new mom. Thanks for joining us to our panelists. Flossie, that's quite a distinguished bio that you sent us. Thanks, Mike. Melissa, welcome to the panel. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And Renee, how's Aria doing today? Is she going to join us on the podcast or no? She's doing great. You might hear her cry in the background a little later, but hopefully not. That'll be fine if she does. So how we're going to work the panel today is I'm going to kick off a series of topics and hand it off to Flossie, who will serve as the moderator for the panelists. So let's get started with our first topic, which is working as a woman in a male-dominated industry. So here's your fast fact. According to the National Association of Women in Construction, women represent only 10% of the workforce. Now, women in the U.S., on average, across all industries, average 81% of what men earn. Now, the good news for us is the gender pay gap is significantly smaller in construction occupations 
where women earn on average 99.1% of what men make. Flossie, I'll hand it back to you to lead the panel discussion. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Well, first I have to say that when I saw this statistic, I was shocked that women only represent 10% of the workforce in the construction industry. It's a, it's a huge industry in the United States. So that was really a surprisingly low statistic in my mind. As well, I find it to be a very positive thing that within the door industry, we beat that statistic significantly. So since all three of us are women in a male dominated industry, I thought we could start off by maybe talking about some of the opportunities the industry has afforded us. I know from a personal perspective, one of the opportunities that I have found is because we are women, I think we tend to be noticed more. Since it is a male dominated industry, I feel like we're more memorable. I know there are times where I have met men in the industry, you know, at trade shows where you meet seems like tons of people and they remember me because I stand out because I, I look different. I'm a woman. And then I kind of feel bad when I see them, you know, the next year and I don't necessarily remember them. I'm kind of wondering with you guys, how do you feel about opportunities in terms of being differentiated as a woman? Uh, Renee, let's start with you. I definitely feel noticed as a woman, especially when we're at Expo. And even if I'm dealing with customers, what's most exciting is that uh, when they see that you're a woman, but you know your stuff, um, you speak technical language and words, they're like, whoa. <laughs> so I think there's a little bit of a shock factor sometimes, um, which I think is awesome. I remember Pat Losey from Clopay um, on one of the Women Open Doors panels she always said, as a woman in this industry, you have to know your stuff. And ever since then, I always made a point to know my stuff inside and out whenever I'm doing a sales call or if I'm talking with vendors. So that's something that I always keep in mind. Okay. How about you, Melissa? I have an interesting take on that just because I try to stand out as much as I can anyway. Being a woman on construction site since I was 15, I've quite literally grown up dealing with groups of men and things like that. So to me, it's always been very interesting and actually sort of empowering knowing that I know these things. I can go out there and I can use a saw saw better than most of the guys that are out there. It is definitely a benefit to be able to stand out like that, being able to show not just the men in our industry, but men throughout our communities that some of their thoughts and, and processes might not necessarily be the right way because I can do it better than you. I have so much respect for you for knowing how to use a salsa. <laughs> Just don't let me use a grinder Great. or a torch. Those are both bad items for me. <laughs> you know, I will say one of the things that my dad taught me growing up because he was an immigrant. So he was very opposed to setting yourself apart, to differentiating yourself. He was very proud to be part of the American melting pot. And I remember he often said, it doesn't matter what your background is or that you are a woman and you are in a male industry. Be the person 
that you are, be intelligent and people won't think of you as different. So I think that was, that was good advice. Of course, I personally think that because that's how I was raised. I'm wondering if either of you, your parents gave you any sort of guidance in terms of being a girl or being a woman. I guess I'll go first on this one, Renee, because honestly, I have a little bit of a different perspective than both of you. Both of you come from parents who are immigrants, who did work their butts off coming here and become as successful as, as both of your guys' companies have. I have family that's from rural West Virginia. I don't know anything other than classic white America. I know that sounds bad, but that's sort of what it was. My father was actually opposed to me coming into the workforce originally. He didn't want me in there. He didn't, he thought a woman's place, pardon my language, was in a kitchen. To me, I actually luckily had my aunt in the office and she was the one person who did not treat me any different from any of the men I worked with. So if there was anybody who pushed me forward, it was my aunt because she had done this since she was in her early twenties and pushed me forward and went, just don't take it. Don't, don't let them talk you down. Although when I tell you to wear shorts that go a little bit longer, make sure you wear shorts that are a little bit longer. That's interesting, Melissa. I think it's, it's important for a lot of people you know, we have to kind of gain that inner strength to be the person that we want to become. And it's really helpful to have a parent figure or a mentor that supports you in that. How about you, Renee? Both of my parents are immigrants to this country. So I've always watched them work their butts off. Um, and my mom is a very empowered woman and she's always she, she's always been seen as a leader amongst her friends group. And same thing with my dad. He's just a very hard worker. My dad has always, his, his favorite model is, well, if you don't like it, don't look at it. So I've always adopted that mentality. Um, and I never, I never see myself as different just because my parents have never seen themselves as different being in this country. I like that. Similar, similar backgrounds. Yes. Um, I'd like to kind of swing back around to opportunities. Sometimes it, it is good in terms of stereotypes of being a woman uh, to capitalize on the fact that we are women. And one example that I have on that is during my sabbatical, I worked for a residential door dealer selling residential doors. And I felt like it was very helpful to me to be a woman in a residential setting because I was going to people's homes. Uh, the company that I worked for, in addition to selling doors and operators, also sold all kinds of storage units and garage flooring. And I really positioned myself as more of a garage interior decorator. Customers actually said that when I showed up to their house, like I was going to redo their little HGTV garage and get them organized and make it all neat and pretty. And I think that, again, a stereotype, people tend to think of interior designers as women 
So in that aspect, it was helpful to me. Melissa, um, do you have any thoughts on that? Actually, I do. My um, salesman that unfortunately, Matt, who unfortunately passed away this past April, his biggest thing for me when I was in my late 20s was the reality that even though he was a fantastic salesman, women tend to make the best sales women. And the reason is, as much as the men like to be in charge, they know what they want for their garage. The women are the ones with the vision of what they see in the beauty of their home. So while that's not always the case, being a woman and being able to talk on the same level as each other, there's not the threatening, there's, there doesn't, even if there's any pre-existing ideas or thought on somebody when they walk up to your door, they tend to soften when it is a woman. Well, for me, um, from my perspective, I work, our company is commercial only. So I am dealing with uh, going to end users, walking to warehouses, going on to construction sites. So for me, I did feel awkward at first. I'm like, okay, so I walk in, where do I go? Like, who do I ask for? I don't know what I'm doing. I, I had to work hard on gaining confidence too. Even though I never felt myself as different, I had to work on being confident as well whenever I would walk into our customer's building. Um, and if there was no reception, just going up to anyone, asking them uh, who I need to see, uh, where I need to go. It, it did take a lot of um, strength and courage to, to really get past this feeling of uh, being a little bit, feeling awkward and feeling nervous. But with the help of my brother, who's in sales as well at our company, and also my dad, it did make it a lot easier. But that was just like one of the things that uh, got me really nervous when I started doing commercial sales was how to get past that awkward point. That's understandable, particularly in a commercial environment, tends to be more rough and gruff. Yeah, yeah. When you walk into a warehouse and they're all the warehouse workers and you have to go to a certain office, you don't know where you're going. You have to figure out where you're going. So yeah. Let's also talk about opportunities in our industry in terms of education. You know, there are so many aspects of the door business, whether you're working for a, a manufacturer of of doors or electronic equipment, whether you're working at a dealership, there are really a lot of different venues. I mean, these are businesses. So there is sales, there is marketing, there is installation, there is factory labor. So I'd like to sort of touch on some of the educational opportunities that are available to women more so after they join the industry. I know that some larger manufacturers are able to offer tuition assistance, for example. That might not be an option for a smaller business, but that would be an option if you're in the door industry working for a larger corporation. Would you guys like to talk about technical and education or training or any educational opportunities that either have been made available to you yourselves or to those who you work with? I think IDA provides really great resources for educational opportunities. 
Um, I know that I'm certified in rolling steel and sectional door. Um, I'm IDEA certified door dealer consultant. And I thought taking those exams were great. There was all this terminology that uh, we label things, my company labels things differently, but the door industry has a set standard for certain vocabulary. Um, So I thought it was really helpful. IDA has great resources and going to Expo as well is very educational. Interesting. I too have a couple IDEA certifications. One is as a door dealer consultant and the other is gate system designs. And, And I'm with you. I think that those courses really go into a lot of depth and the, the textbooks and the testing process, you can't just skate through it. Yeah, and even being at Expo, being on the floor, I know that I've asked your salespeople, Flossie, about some edges, technical questions about edges. It's great that you can go on the floor and you can go to LiftMaster, open up their operators, look at it, ask questions. So that's another opportunity. Melissa, how do you feel about educational opportunities, offerings for women in the door industry? I also completely agree about the IDA with with the educational sessions. The IDEA, their educational sessions they put out, that's actually where this Women Open Doors started, was a discussion between Renee and Deborah Wellner from the IDEA. I also think that there are so many opportunities out there, and I think women need to understand that you shouldn't just look for women specialized classes. I know here recently we're looking to expand out our products of what we carry in commercial. And one of the things I made sure to ask for with my father was when the guys go out, I would like to go too. I would like to see how it works. I would like to see how it moves. I think that is one of the biggest benefits I have had from being a technician I know how to put a door together. I know how it works. I know the components of it. Don't ask me electrical things because I will not know the answer to that. But being able to get out there and put your hands on, it gives you a better, more rounded idea of what's really going on in the world and the business you're in. So it's, it, it's not just taking the, the classes online, the how to type, how to write, how to write a professional letter. Now, yes, those are all good things. And if you ask me personally, I think my brother and my father need them more than me and my sister do. But the reality is, is classes are out there and we put them, we, we sort of deviate, divide them between genders. Like this is more of a masculine class. This is more of a feminine class. It, th- those need to go. It, it, you need to go out there and learn what you feel is going to help benefit not only you, your business, but your future. If going out there and figuring out how a, a folding door works, like folding doors and sliding doors to us are not a common occurrence where we are. They're pretty much all sectionals. One piece doors, we take them down, but we don't put them up. Having the ability to go out there and learn these things as a woman, getting your hands dirty, it helps you be able to talk to people and grow your education. Because when you can talk face-to-face with and, and terminology to terminology, with someone who's been doing this for 15, 20, 30, 40 years, it's amazing how much that can help you grow, not only as a person, but in our industry. And I agree with a point you made very well, Melissa, and that is this really isn't a gender specific issue. 
we are all professionals with careers. And the number one way to advance your career is through furthering your education and your knowledge. So I completely agree with you. It is, it is not gender specific. It is nice to know that there are so many opportunities for women who enter the door industry to, to become further educated and, and advance their careers. And I think that there are actually a lot of manufacturers out there, yourself included, who welcome women to come to whatever educational sessions you guys are putting on and putting out because you want people to learn, not just, not just the men, but everybody. Right. We certainly don't bias educational opportunities based on gender. You know, while we're talking about gender, in terms of the topic, women open doors, I think it's a little unavoidable, although I don't want to turn this into a hashtag me too conversation. Let's talk a little bit about sexual harassment. And we all understand that can go either way, whether it's man, 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 woman, woman, man, woman, woman, there is a multitude of aspects to sexual harassment. I know that here at Miller Edge, we absolutely have policies in place for reporting hostile activities in the workplace. We make it a very safe environment for employees to approach not only HR or not only their manager, but whomever in executive management they feel safe talking to. If you're a victim of, of sexual harassment, that's a very personal, private thing. So we try and make it very open if that were to ever happen in the workplace. I'm wondering how your companies deal with that. Melissa? My company, we've never really had anything where we've had to deal with that. I guess being the small ma-pa business, having five employees at the moment who are all family members, there's, there's no real issue with that. And something I've actually found in our industry specifically, it has never really been much of an issue for me, whether it's been IDA meetings, IDA shows, dealer conferences, for some reason, it almost feels like the door industry is a little more open to it and a little more calm about it than some places. So I don't really have an answer on how I would handle that just because I guess with us being 15 people, a third of it family, with my brother and father being out with the guys, me and my sister being in the office, stuff tends to not happen because there's always somebody around. Yeah, same with my company. We are a small family business. We really don't experience that a lot, especially from, I mean, I don't, we don't experience any of that in my company. Really, I mean, we have, we do have included within our employee manual, a section about how to deal with sexual harassment or hostilities in the workplace. But I do want to reinforce that the workplace is not only within your own walls. For example, at a trade show, 
or at an industry function, at an association, you know, a home builders association meeting, that sort of thing. And so we leave that open. We include that as part of our workplace because you are there representing the company. And we don't want, whether it's a coworker, a vendor, a customer, we don't want anyone to ever feel uncomfortable or to feel that they are forced to deal with maybe rude or inappropriate behaviors. Another thing that I'd like to touch on, and I think this is something that only women really understand. I've talked to male friends and they were not trained like we were trained. There are unique situations that I think even as teenage girls, maybe even as children, we are taught because we are girls. One of the things that comes to mind for me is if you're on an elevator at, at a hotel, safe practices, if you're feeling creeped out by the other person on the elevator, you always, let, you always make the other person press the floor that they're going to first, because if it's your same floor, you're pressing a different button. You're not getting off that same floor. You don't want them to know where your room is. Another example, I remember I was taught um, with, your, with my keychain, if I was parked in a public parking lot or a dark place, I was taught to actually hold my keychain in my hand, but place, place the actual keys sticking out to kind of make brass knuckles as I was walking, even though I'm feeling safe, just in case I could like punch somebody with a set of keys. And I'm probably dating myself because I don't know how many people actually carry around keys anymore. So there are unique things that we're taught as girls and as young women. And when I talk to men, when I bring these things up, they act like it's totally bizarre. They've never heard it before. And I don't know, maybe sometimes they think I'm paranoid or I had paranoid family and friends teaching me things. I'm wondering if you guys have any of those anecdotal stories that as women we learn. Well, for me, because I went to college in an urban environment, I have extreme stranger danger. So I am always aware of my surroundings. I do not wear headphones when I'm walking. So even in an elevator, I actually would prefer to take an elevator alone than with a group of men or if it's one male or if there are some women in the mix. And also I think the way how I carry myself with my persona, I kind of turn on and off. So if I'm interested in having a conversation with someone, I will. But if I get bad vibes from someone and I don't trust their intentions, I actually go into a serious mode and I give off a very serious vibe and people usually take that as a big hint and then go away. That's how I handle awkward situations and things like that. And I think that's a really good point, trusting your gut instincts. When you attend safety classes that are put on by the police department or self-defense courses, one of the first things they always say is trust your gut instinct. Yes, definitely. I agree. 
How about you, Melissa? Any quirky things you learned as a, as a woman or as a girl? See, I'm interesting in the fact that I carry myself almost like a man in a lot of ways. And I say that because I've been doing this since I was 15 years old. Um, most of my teenage years, I would shy away. I would sort of hide back because I've always been, and I've always been surrounded by men and men who either are family or treated me like family. So if anything did happen, I had people that I know had my back and didn't change much. So my issues usually come, I'm about 45 minutes from Baltimore. Most of the big to-dos with my friends are down in the city. And I find that I'm a lot like Renee, that when I'm down in the city alone, I'm not that, I'm not that worried because most people are actually kind of scared of me in a way. So I use that to my advantage. Usually I flip on that. I want to say it's almost that I always flip on a nasty persona when I'm around my friends, when I'm around female friends of mine because I become uber protective of them. Okay. I do think that it's interesting. And I think Renee brought it up early on that none of us have really had an issue here in, in the door industry with true inappropriate behavior or harassment. And again, I think that provides sort of an opportunity, a welcoming mat for women to join the industry. Because even though women are a minority and make up a, a much smaller portion of, of the door industry, we are respected. And I, and I think that that's really important as an industry. I remember, I wanna say it was the second Women Open Doors panel we hosted. There was a girl in the audience who was just getting started at a sales in a sales position. Her she worked for a manufacturer, and her job was to go to different door dealers and to sell the product. And she was extremely nervous about it. She was so worried about maybe being catcalled or the fact that she was a woman, just very very nervous. And the three panelists on stage and even a few women in the audience assured her that this is the garage door industry. You will never meet a garage door company who is going to treat you rudely or with disrespect. A lot of door dealers are incredibly respectful and you will not find that in this industry. So it was really reassuring to hear that. Absolutely. I think it's also reassuring to see that there are women in the industry with powerful roles. Even if we just look at the three of us, you know, I sort of feel like I just do what I do to help out the industry. The industry is part of my community. But when you look at the bios for the three of us, the opportunities that we have had to sit on the board of directors of the association, and it didn't hold any of us back as, as women. I think personally, we hold ourselves back. There's so many things in media, in everyday news that make us doubt ourselves, doubt what we're doing, that we take our own fear and multiply it and we put it onto other things that hold us back ourselves. I know I'm guilty of it a lot. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that there are so many opportunities out there. It's if we take the opportunities. For example, Melissa said that her whenever they sell a new product, she wants to go out in the field and see how it's installed so she can sell the product better. I think that's a fantastic example of taking an opportunity. That's not give that's not handed out to you, but you taking advantage of the situation. Right. To benefit yourself. It kind of goes back to the educational opportunities as well. So there are a lot of places where women can move up within the industry. Women also need to remember to advocate for themselves. We don't always do that. Yeah. And it's okay to feel self-empowered and to feel confident in in being self-empowered. Right. It's absolutely okay to raise your hand or walk into your boss and say, I want to learn this new product. It is absolutely okay to promote your own career by learning more, by finding a mentor in the industry to teach you more. This has been an excellent panel discussion so far. Thank you all for for keeping this moving. It's a riveting discussion and it will be an eye opener for many of us in the industry. Thank you. The next topic for discussion we're going to talk about now is women in the workplace and how COVID and the pandemic has affected that paradigm. So according to an article in Bloomberg News, the number of women on payrolls last month fell for the first time since the surge in the pandemic in December of 2020. And that drop was even more pronounced for those women who are aged 25 to 44 most likely to have school-aged children. Now that decline was a major driver behind a slowdown in overall job growth in the country. This report came as a surprise because many economists anticipated that the return to school would actually alleviate the childcare burden, which mostly falls on mothers. I'll hand it back to you, Flossie, to take this topic forward. Thank you. I do think that COVID posed very unique circumstances for women in the workplace, regardless of how far women have come, women still tend to be, again, generalization, women still tend to be the ones who are counted on for raising the children, for taking care of the household. At Miller Edge, we made a lot of concessions for women with school-aged children during the height of COVID and allowing them to work from home. And I shouldn't just say children because we also offered that to a couple grandmothers that we have who are employees that their daughter worked and their daughter was not able to work from home and they needed to have that two family income or the daughter was a single mom. And so we made the grandmother's job ability to work from home so that she could care for the grandchildren as well. And we really, I don't know if that's because we're a family business so we tend to place a high priority on family. But I'm wondering what sort of challenges that Melissa and Renee, you guys have run into in terms of shortages in the workforce and the impact of COVID, particularly on women. Renee, as a recent mother. So for me, as a recent mother, 
I'm actually very happy that my daughter is still a baby and I didn't have to deal with her being homeschooled uh, at a kindergarten age. I don't know what I would have done. So kudos to all the moms out there who were working and then taking care of their children while they were learning and schooling from home. I think that as far as uh, COVID shortages and how my company has had to deal with that. Being in New York City, we were hit the first and the hardest uh, when COVID happened in March. It was really scary not knowing what was going on and if people were going to show up to work because everyone was, was panicked and scared. So that was a very, very difficult thing to have gotten through. Everything turned out to be fine many months and years later, but I just remember the panic that was going on at the time and not knowing what was happening. Um, and I couldn't imagine having to deal with having children, taking them out of school and them being home and learning from school. So, yeah. Yeah, it really was a huge burden, a huge shift in responsibilities. Melissa, did you have any situations with women in your workforce? We didn't really have any issues with women in the workplace during COVID. We're in Maryland. We actually shut down for all of two weeks right after Expo in 2020. Basically, Maryland's Hogan had shut everything down and my guys were panicked. And it wasn't even, it was because of their kids. I have a lot of guys right now who have kids who are in high school, middle school. Um, some are just getting ready to have kids. I have a surprisingly young workforce and they didn't want to take the chance of taking it home to them. We had, we closed down Carl's for two weeks to give everybody that opportunity to sort of breathe, calm down, get back into it. We were shut down fully for all of, I think two, three days. Then we started working everybody back and we haven't stopped. We've had a few of them who their kids have been at daycare um, they've gotten sick from family. They've done the two weeks off. We actually took advantage of the FMLA's COVID relief. And when our guys were off for their kids, for themselves, for their family, for whoever, they were still paid for that two weeks to make sure that they could focus on their family. We found ways to work around it. We found ways to juggle the schedule, but man or man or woman, if you need to be home for your family, that needs to be your priority. As a business owner, your employees are your business. So you need to find ways to make sure that they can keep their lives going so they can help keep you going. I think it's interesting at Miller Edge that it was mothers and grandmothers who requested time to take care of their children. We did have a couple fathers who were sharing the responsibility with their wife or their, the mother of their children. And they would request to work from home for two days a week. And then the mother of the children would be three days a week. But I would say the bulk of our employees were women, other than those, those few cases where it was men who really shared that, that responsibility. Honestly, Flossie, I, I, I found that a lot with my company, but I think you have a better handle on 
what actually happened through all of that. With me and Renee being small businesses with 15, 20, 30 people, it's easier to juggle all that. Miller Edge has how many different locations that you guys were juggling with all this? I was very excited when I heard about the mix of this panel because we all come from different perspectives, right? The dealer perspective, the manufacturer perspective, different work groups within the door industry, yet we are all women. So hopefully this is beneficial to our audience in terms of the diversity of our professional backgrounds and what we do. I just think it's interesting that you had so many women take off. What percentage of your company is women? We are probably about, we're probably about 60% women. I would, I think we're more than 50%. That's phenomenal. So I, I can understand here why the, the mothers and the grandmothers needed to have off. A lot of my guys, a couple of wives or teachers, so they were off and they were home or to me, interesting that one kudos for having 60% of your population your employee population being women. That's impressive. So interesting statistic, because we are technically in the manufacturing industry sector. And in the United States, 30% of manufacturing jobs are held by women. So thank you, Melissa. It is a compliment. Uh, We are proud of the fact that probably about 60% of our workforce is women. I can honestly say at Miller Edge, we don't have any predetermined views when there is a position open. We truly don't have any predetermined views on, you know, we need, we need a new woman in the accounting department, or we need a new guy in the shipping department. We really don't. Perhaps that's because the ownership of the company is both male and female, that we don't see gender as a predeterminant or an assumption in terms of filling a position. Thanks to our panelists. Now we're going to close our discussion today with one final issue talking about labor shortages, regardless of gender and how the gender discussion can fit into that. So here's a couple of facts for you. Number one, over 200,000 jobs were added in the month of September into the construction industry. And yet the industry is still looking for more help and more workers, still lagging behind employment levels from a year ago. In fact, in a survey, 92% of contractors say they have had moderate to high levels of difficulty finding skilled workers. This came out of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's quarterly construction report released in September. The Chamber of Commerce reported that more contractors are struggling to hire skilled labor than at any time in the past year, and that 93% of those contractors expect this labor shortage to remain the same or even get worse over the next six months. Flossie, this is a great way to close our panel discussion today by pulling all of these pieces together. Absolutely. I think all of us on this conversation can agree. Labor is one of the main things affecting our ability to grow our businesses at this point. I will say, after having this conversation, we've looked at so many different aspects of women in the door industry, 
the opportunities that are available, the culture that is that is present in the industry, as well as the, the pay scales in the industry. I'm led to believe that we've kind of already drawn our conclusion. If we need more labor, with the number of women who have left the workforce over the past 18 months due to COVID, and as they return, maybe the place to look is to increase our female workforce. What do you guys think? I agree. I don't mean to come across as biased, but I love hiring women to work for my company. If they're moms, even better. I There's something about a working mom or even a woman. They just know how to get something done. There is something inherent about a woman when they work They know how to get things done under stressful circumstances, especially, especially mothers. They can juggle multiple things and yet still get lots of things done. I am a big proponent of hiring women in the workforce. And Renee, we've known each other for a long time. And I'm going to say, I've known you before you were a mother and you were always really good at getting things done. Thank you. Now, now, now I have to be more creative with my time and how I get things done. <laughs> well, she's a beautiful little addition to your life. Thank you. And I mean, little in terms of size, not in terms of that. <laughs> so it seems like we know that there are women who have left the workforce. There's an opportunity there. And based on everything that we've talked about, that that's really sort of the low-hanging fruit in terms of hiring new employees. I'm wondering, Melissa, how about you? Is there anything that your company does specifically to target women as new hires? Not necessarily. I know that part of what we've done in looking for people, we've done job fairs with our local trade schools and things of that nature where you get out there and you would be surprised how many women are getting into automotive lines of work that are getting into engineering, HVAC. The door industry doesn't have the background and the pull of a lot of those. So making sure that you get your name out there and you get them to see you and who you are and letting them know that you're okay with it. I've also heard from a lot of fathers, again, where the Women Open Doors came from. My daughter wants to get in the business, but I'm scared. This, this to all the dads out there, give her an opportunity. She will surprise you. And I can guarantee you that a million times over. Making sure you look at local professional organizations. There's a National Association of Women in Construction. There's a lot of them out there that people don't know they're there. So making sure that you get your name out there, you start asking out, you start reaching out. I know there's a professional women's of Harford County where I live. So making sure that you reach out and go, hey, we're looking to hire because there are women looking for jobs. There are women who want to get dirty. It's making sure you look places that you don't necessarily expect to find them. To summarize, if it weren't your dad telling you, if it were you telling your children or a friend, you would say the door industry is a good choice as a woman to professionally to join the door industry. I actually have a story for this. I had a cousin that graduated a few years ago with a doctorate. She is a pharmacist. Last Christmas, she was up here drinking at a local brewery. We're doing our normal family hangout. 
She's up here with her boyfriend who is also, surprise, surprise, a pharmacist. She goes, when I have children, I am not going to tell them to follow my path. I'm going to tell them to go into the trades. And this is coming from somebody who makes six plus figures a year. She's like, so many people are going to school and going to these things, taking all these classes. It gets harder and harder every year to try to move up, to try to change where you are. Having a trade, having a skill makes you so much more desirable than just having a piece of paper. So Melissa, Renee, I have to say, I'm very thankful that we had the opportunity to have this discussion. Although I've known both of you for years, I've learned a lot more about both of you. And I really respect your opinions about business decisions. And as fellow women in the industry, I have to agree. I think that the door industry has been really good to me. And I would absolutely recommend it to others as well. Thank you, Fossey. And I do want to share a little story. My dad was always very fond of Flossie's dad. He always talks about him and he still does. It brings a big smile to his face. And he, when I went to Expo for the very first time as a young professional, my dad said, you want to go meet Flossie? Go meet Flossie in the air. Just go up and say hello to her. I want you to be friends with her. You're going to have a great relationship with her and you're going to learn so much from her. And I'm so glad I did that. Because here we are now, we've accomplished so much together. And she really, truly is such a fantastic woman to look up to in this industry. If it weren't for her, I don't know how confident I would be in doing commercial sales. <laughs> and she really gave me that boost of confidence I needed when I, when I first started doing commercial sales. So Flossie is awesome. And for any of you who are listening, I highly suggest you go up to her at Expo, introduce yourself. Uh, she's a great person to know. And thank you so much for hosting this, Flossie. It was really nice. Oh, thank you, Renee. You know, I just try to pay it forward. I felt like as I was growing up in the industry, so many people were helpful to me. So I want to help others as well. I would like to thank actually both of you because the whole reason that I'm sitting on this panel today is both of you. I know the reason the YPN got started was you too. Flossie, you were on the board at that time. And I know you and Renee are pushing forward for a way to get the younger generations of door dealers, of manufacturers, finding a way to bring them together so they can talk, so they can learn, so they can grow. And if it was not for what you two have done for the work you two put in, I wouldn't be where I am right now. I wouldn't be able to be sitting on the IDA board trying to help turn a ship that has been a quote unquote good old boys club for years to something that I can see has a much brighter future because of what you two have done. So thank you both so much for everything you've done for our industry and how you're moving it forward. Well, we appreciate your enthusiasm, Melissa, as well. It's, it's women and members like you who keep this going. Let me add my thanks to our panelists, Renee Patel, Melissa Whitaker, and of course, our moderator, Flossie Miller. Thank you for joining us today with this segment of Women Open Doors. This is Mike Fisher, IDA Executive Director, signing off from the Winding Bar Cafe. To our listeners, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. We hope you enjoy today's IDA Doorcast, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the IDA DoorCast. Be sure to catch our next episode. For more information about IDA, visit doors.org. See you next time.